0: Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago. So we are entering my sweet spot. We're entering a series called The Praying Church. And I am so excited about that. We're going to also, we're going to transition from there into a series called Authentic Spirituality where we look during the fall at the life of David. And you really can't have an authentically, you know, a spiritually authentic life without prayer. So I'm excited. This is one of our rhythms that we have gotten into. So every year around the month of September, you can expect us to actually kind of give, get a a look at what prayer is or means or what it does. If you we actually had a really good ramp in, Rick was here last week, but online, the recorded sermon was someone named Cherie Hayes, and she works with the Bible project and she did a sermon on the Lord's Prayer and she talked about how the the Lord's Prayer is kind of like a Swiss army knife that you can like take different pieces of it out and use it in different ways to um, to enrich your life uh, so also, if you get a chance, like Alex said, we're meeting for prayer at 8.15 in the prayer space. It's a nice, quick time of just looking at an overview of, of just what's going on during the day. Send you out to pray for our campus, pray for our people, pray for all of you. We prayed for you know, the service and everything, and then we just kind of come back, and then we pray for the team that's coming out during the day, so feel free to meet me at 8.15 in the prayer space every Sunday in September. So this week, we're gonna start focusing not so much on just the practice of prayer. While that's important, I wanna also focus on our posture in prayer. I wanna focus not just on what we do, but how we show up in prayer, and so what I want us to do, though, is I really want us to hold this service with a really loose hand. Periodically, you'll hear me say that, and when it comes to prayer in specific, it's one of those things that, that you really need to just kind of like, you know, you wanna listen at the same time as you're doing this, so here's what I want us to consider it like. So every one of us, who's familiar with the idea of take your kid to work day, right? So this is how I want you to approach today's sermon, as if your father is taking his kid to work today. So I want you to listen as the loved child of your father because he's going to show different ones of us different things, but I want your heart open to be able to to really hear him and see exactly what it is he's he's doing in us and for us as we move today. So like I said, I I totally am into this right now because I'm holding his hand and my dad is taking me to work today. So I'm gonna see what he does at each part of this sermon and I am looking forward to it. We've got a sermon here, but if I got to check it, I will check it just uh, so that you know. So I want you to see, first of all, that prayer is not just something that we do, but it is a way of life. And that is what we want to look at over the next four weeks, is prayer as a way of living our lives in Acts 17. Paul is addressing the people at Athens and he says to them he says to them and he's quoting a poet of theirs he says in him meaning in God we live we move and we have our being and so i want us to see prayer through that lens through the lens of being and moving and having of living and and uh, moving and having our being in God i want us to see prayer through that lens our text is a short one, it is small but it is mighty, and there are some passages like that in the Bible where if you could, could feed on that, you could live on it forever. My, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want is one of those passages. You could live on that and eat on that for years and years and years, and you'd be way further ahead of the game than somebody who has got a lot of letters behind their name. So our passage today is 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. And it simply says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Jesus Christ. It is among a list of instructions that Paul gives in the letter of Thessalonians. And it's kind of like the things that you say to your kid when you drop your kid off at the neighbor's house for a sleepover. You say, okay, I need you to be polite. Don't eat too much, don't make a lot of noise, don't put anything up your nose. I need you to just be a good kid. So it's kind of like those instructions. And if you if you're not careful, you'll actually hear them the same way your kids hear those instructions, kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher going, wah, 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 wah. So you go through this passage, but you need to stop and look at the things that Paul says. Because he says, he says to pray continually. And then he says, he says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Jesus Christ. A little background first. So Paul is writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica it's a challenged church. It's a young church, but it's a challenged church, a church that's getting it from both sides, from the, from the sides of the Jews and the sides of the Gentiles. Paul knows exactly how that feels. And he's been trying to get to them because he knows they're young and he knows they need some contact. So he's been trying to get to them and he can't. He says in the letter, he's, I've been trying to get to you guys, trying to visit, but I haven't been able to do it. And then he sends Timothy. Timothy comes back with a report and says, you know what? They're doing okay. They're doing all right. It's a little rough for them, but they're doing all right. And so Paul decides, you know, I can't get to them, so I'm going to write a letter. Interesting side note, historians believe this is the first letter that he wrote. And so you think about that. Think about the work of God in Paul's life, that Paul is is trying to visit all of these churches, and then God says, write a letter. So he writes a letter to them, and this kicks off what would become the New Testament. And so that's just amazing to me when when I think about how God does this. But what he does in this book is he... He kind of models what he wants to do. He has the things, the, the meat of the letter, but there are two parts to this letter, verse, uh, chapters one through three, and then chapters four and five. And what he does is in the beginning of one, in the middle of three and four, and at the end of five, there are these prayers. And what he's doing is it's kind of like the prayers are the clothesline. And so he's, he's kind of modeling what he means when he says, you know, prayer is like that in our lives. We usually think that a lot of what it is we have to do is the main thing. But if you think about clothes on a clothesline, if the clothesline falls, so do the clothes. And all the efforts that you made with the clothes are just just a mess, right? So prayer, think of it like that, that all other things kind of hang on that. So what does it mean to pray continually? It certainly doesn't mean that he means for them to be stuck in a room all day long, praying like a monk and doing nothing else. He doesn't mean that because elsewhere in the passage, in that letter and in 2 Thessalonians, he kind of talks about holding slackers to account. And he also talks about, he commends them for their hard work. So he can't mean when he says pray continually, that he wants them to just do that physically But Paul is nothing if he is not intentional, and he's very careful about how he chooses his words. So when he says, pray continually, the word, it's just two words, pray continually. He could have said, just pray. He could have said, pray a lot. He could have said, pray from time to time. But he didn't say that. He said, pray continually, without intermission, without stopping. So before we look at what it means to pray continually, we have to look first at just prayer. So there are two ideas when you look at this idea of prayer. The first idea is that there is one of, it's one of, um, it's one of prayer to God specifically. And so it's one that involves supplication, it involves worship, it involves an understanding that you are one praying to one who is higher. And so that is very specific in that word. The other idea is that your petitions, your desires, the thing that you're talking about is laid bare before God. So if you think about it, you've got God who never shows up dishonestly, laying himself bare to you. And then there's you laying laying yourself bare to God in prayer. So ultimately, prayer boils down to one thing. Prayer is presence. Prayer is us being fully present to God and God being fully present to us. Now that is very difficult for most of us to imagine because we're thinking how many of us have prayed and there have been a million other things that you've been present to while you're praying and that you're thinking about and that are on your mind and that you're struggling with. It's not that those things go away two things happen. First, you bring those things to him and you filter them through the fact that he is a God who needs to see those things. And you submit yourself to his will. The second thing is, is that you want to know that those things, even though you have them in your mind and in your heart, when you're praying, they don't compete with God that God wins in those situations. Because what I don't want you to do is to think that when I'm praying and my mind is on something else, somehow I'm praying wrong or I'm praying amiss or I shouldn't be doing it this way or I shouldn't be praying at all. And so we struggle sometimes in prayer because we're thinking, I must be doing it wrong because I'm thinking about some other stuff, some other things are on my mind. And I'm just saying that the things that are on your mind, you bring them to him but you don't allow them to compete with him. They are not on the same level as God. So sometimes we have to retreat from the busyness of our lives and get to a place of solitude, right? In order to pray. And other times we need to get away from the noise that's in our lives. The Bible says that Jesus often went to a solitary place to pray. When I mean, he separated himself from what was going on, from what was going on in in life and stuff. But with time and practice, part of what it means to have a lifestyle of prayer is not that you're praying every single minute of every single day the way that you pray when when you sit by yourself and you put your hands and you do the thing and you say the words. But with time, what eventually happens is you begin to take that solitude with you. You take that silence with you, and it's in you. And as you move through life, how many of you have ever been in a room where there are a million things going on and the whisper of God is louder than everything that you're hearing at that time? And that's what we do sometimes is God makes it possible for us to be able to hear him even when we're in the noise because the Holy Spirit in us makes space for those things that God needs to say. So prayer is ultimately an encounter where God meets us where we are. Now, He doesn't always meet us where we'd like Him to meet us, because I might think that where I am is in a place where I need provision or I need comfort or I need help. And he may want to challenge me. He may meet me in a place where he decides that I need someone, that that somebody needs some help through me, or he may want to heal me, or he may want to correct me. But Rest assured that God meets us in prayer exactly where we are. And you've heard me say a gajillion times, and I will say it all the time, that the Bible is the story of the will of God in the person of Jesus Christ through the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit. If that is the truth, then prayer is the thing that brings that story to life in us and through us and for us because prayer is the place where that story breathes. We come to know the will of God in prayer. We come to know the person of Jesus Christ in prayer. We come to know the power and the witness and the move of the Holy Spirit through prayer. It's in prayer that we make a move toward God, and God is then able to reveal himself to us. Now prayer is at best not our attempt to get God to do what we want, but rather at its best it's us opening ourselves to hearing what God wants and by faith to allow ourselves to be shaped into a yes and an amen. And so we sometimes worry in going to prayer with God that because our lives are empty or because our hearts are empty or because we're struggling with something that we simply can't go to him. But the truth is, is that's when you should go to him, is when those things are, you're struggling with those things. And so he wants you to come to him with your whole heart even if your whole heart is empty, even if your whole heart is angry, even if your whole heart is confused, even if your whole heart is troubled, even if your whole heart, you don't feel like it's even your whole heart, even if that heart that you have is divided, bring it, bring it to him. So whether we're empty or full or joyful or messed up or grateful or angry or confused, he says, come and I will give you rest. Now, when you think about what it means to give us rest, when he says rest, he means you will rest in the will of the Father. You will rest in the person of the Son. You will rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what it looks like and what it means to pray continually. It means to rest in God. To rest means to abide, to dwell, to exist, to reside. It means... I call it getting my wusa on, wusa, And so that's what he expects us to do. And when we do this, we then learn the example of Jesus Christ and his person through the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is able to move through us. And so I like to think of it this way. I always think about how I wake up with him. I go out with him. I come home to him. I lay down with him. There is no moment in my life when he is not there. I wake up with him, I go out with him, I come home to him, I lay down with him." Sounds kind of like a dance, right? One two, three, One, two, three, four. And if we truly, truly, truly want to experience God in his fullness, then that is the dance he wants us to do. Wake up with him, go out with him, come home to him, Lay down with him. When we're able to do that, when we're able to, to allow God to hold us that way, then what happens is we're able to hold other people because we hold our lives like this. And so it makes it possible for me to hold you in prayer. It makes it possible for me to hold Gina in prayer. It makes it possible for me to hold Imago in prayer. Why? Because I know I am being held. Some of you may or may not know that the word precarious and the word prayer have a common root, but the picture word that is in both of those words is to be held by the grace or the grip of another. And so when we think about prayer, we are being held in the grip of God, and so we can then hold others in that same grip. In the next weeks, we're going to look at what it means to pray for one another, to pray corporately as a group, to pray as a contemplative practice. We're gonna look at all of those things. And then also in the next weeks, if you have a chance, go to, what is it, moreprayer.org, which is 24-7 Prayers' website. And they're doing a 21-day prayer and fasting called The Breaking. And so what they're doing is they're really praying for um, they're praying for the city of Portland. They're praying that God would pour his spirit out on this city. Join them. There's a prayer guide. There's, there's a, there are different um, services on Wednesday nights, just prayer services that you can participate in. But as a, as a family of faith, we are praying for the city of Portland, Oregon. And so they want, they want the Lord to rebuild, restore, and renew this city and they're they're looking at Isaiah 61 as their their foundational passage. So the best example of living prayer is of course in Jesus Christ, but specifically I want to look at Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. Now let's set the scene. Jesus has been talking over and over again with his disciples and with everybody else about what needs to happen in his life and they're just kind of missing it. It's just psh, psh, going over their heads and they're just missing a lot of it and he's talking till he's blue in the face and then eventually as they get really close they kind of start to get pieces of it and it makes them really sad and depressed but nobody is sadder and nobody is heavier and nobody is struggling more than Jesus Christ at this time because he knows that they're going to scatter and he's going to be alone. But he says, but I will not be alone. And the reason he is not alone is because he is in prayer. That's one of the paradoxes of prayer is that when we go into solitary prayer with God, we find out that we're not alone that when we go into the silence, we realize that it's not silence, but that it is a waiting for him to speak, and so that we're able to hear him. So anyway, so he gets into this garden, and he tells his guys to pray, and then he goes and he says, this thing is about to kill me. He says, my soul, in King James, he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. This thing is about to kill me. And his response is to pray. So he goes into the garden and he addresses God and he says, Father, all things are possible for you. If this could pass from me, then I would would want that to be the case. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because here's the thing, prayer is that first place in your life. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this, prayer is the place where heaven meets earth. Prayer is the place where you've got one eye on God and one eye on earth. Prayer is the place where your hope meets your certainty, where mystery meets what you can see. Prayer is that place where, as I was telling the musicians last service, when they play that song, Oh, How He Loves, and nobody wants to play that line where it says heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. I sing that every time. And I sing that because I'm into that part. I'm totally into that. So in prayer, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. God gets sexy in prayer. God gets amazing in prayer. God is so incredible in prayer that you get to see him as you need to see him. And a lot of us struggle because it's like, I wanna be able to pray like Dave. I wanna be able to pray like Rick. I wanna be able to pray like James or or Phil or Gina or somebody else. And we wanna pray like somebody else, but God is saying, I wanna speak to you in the language you hear best. I wanna love you the way you love best. So here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what he gets in the Garden of Gethsemane is what? He gets the will of God. He learns the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he leaves the garden. He walked in the garden talking about how he felt. He walks out of the garden with what he knows to be the will of God, and this is the thing that drives him, not how he feels, not how hard it is, not how rough it is, but this is how he leaves the garden. And Peter actually still, because he didn't pray, he slept with the other two guys. So Peter gets all upset and he panics and he cuts off this guy's ear. And Jesus says to him, shall I not drink this cup that my father has given me? Now he walks in saying, if this cup could pass, he prays again. And what he gets in that garden, it says that the angel of the Lord strengthened him so that he prayed more. The angel strengthens him, not so that he can go out and go to the cross, strengthens him so that he can pray more. Prayer has to be more than just a mental exercise or a conversation. It has to change who we are. It changes our behavior. It changes what's going on in us, and it gives us a new driver. Because what we drive into prayer with oftentimes is what we need and what we want and what matters to us. And when we get to the will of God and we see the example of Jesus Christ and we know that because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we can then go do the things that God has called us to do. We like to place a really high value on our intellect, right? If we can figure it out, if we can know it, then we can predict it. If we can predict it, then we can control it. But the truth is, is that that's not how prayer works. Prayer is not an exercise in predicting God or telling God who he is or telling God what you want. It is a, it is a matter of you finding out in prayer what God wants. I think prayer at its fullest is both encounter and experience, to be present with God, to be present in him, to understand that love is not a spectator sport with God, that he's not just looking at us, that he wants to engage with us, and that love is not a thing that you do at arm's length. It's not a thing that you do detached. And prayer is the place where you make that attachment. Prayer is the place where you affirm and confirm that relationship. Prayer is the place where you hear the things that matter to the heart of God. A God who has everything but desires you. A God who doesn't need anything but he runs after you. A God who is all things, knows all things, all powerful, omnipresent, everywhere. And yet he looks for you. He searches for you. He rejoices and dances over you. Prayer is not about knowing about God. It is how we know God. If I just read about you, if I just looked at your driver's license, if I just read a report that somebody wrote about you, if I just took the word of somebody else about you and we never had time together and we never spent time talking or having coffee or spending spending face-to-face time together, if I never cried with you, if you never cried with me, if I never asked you what mattered to you or what, what you wanted, would you say that we had a relationship? If God answered every single one of your prayers that you prayed in the last year, what would be different? Would your life be different? Just your life? Or would the world be different? Would your family be different? Would this church be different? Prayer is the way into all of those things. Prayer is the contest. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the fight. If you're Muhammad Ali and you're standing over Sonny Liston and you got that thing like this, prayer is the fight. Ministry is the standing over Sonny Liston who's down. But the fight for Jesus happened in Gethsemane. The cross was the reward for him. The cross was the thing. It said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He couldn't have endured the cross without that prayer in Gethsemane, without that time that he spent in Gethsemane. He couldn't have done that. And so what does that mean for us? Well, like the church in Thessalonica, we are young, believe it or not, because there's some people who have been here for a long time, but there's a lot of people who are just coming, and so our church is being reborn. And so we're young, and we're challenged at this time in history. Like them, we're young, and we're challenged, and and like them, God is trying to visit the difference is he doesn't have to write a letter. He's here, and he's here in each one of us. So I was praying for Imago a couple of weeks ago. It'll be a couple of weeks ago tomorrow because it was on a Monday, and I was praying for Imago, and I was thinking about a church's identity. When we think about ourselves, what are we, what are we known for? known for having creatives here, having musicians here, having people who love the city here and people who give themselves to caring for our city and for our marginalized people. We have all of those things that we are, that we are known for. And as I was praying, I was saying, God, are these the things that we are still known for? And his response was really, um, it shook me up because he said, you will be known As a church, people come to to encounter me, and then they will leave, and the world will encounter me through them. That's it. That's as famous as we're going to get. We are people who steward the attention of other people so that we can send them to God. That's why I stand up here. Not so you can encounter me, but so that you can encounter him. Then leave this place and let other people encounter God through you. There is no thing, there is nothing, no limit to what God can do through the man or the woman who will not touch his glory. Who will allow other people to encounter him. But we do that because we pray. So I'm trying to figure out how that looks. I'm trying to figure out in ministries, what does that look like? I'm thinking about charts. I'm thinking about all the stuff. And he stops me. He says, these are not instructions. This is a promise. This is a promise he made to us. And I see the will of the Father in the person of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in a church where people come to encounter God and go out so that the world can encounter him through you. That's it. That's what we will be known for. That's all that matters. And so then I look at this and I go, well, then what's our job? What do we do? And he gave me one word, approach approach. And so with the time that we have left, I want to actually pray about that. I want to pray about approaching him. Now remember, you're holding your father's hand. You're at take your kid to work day. He's working. He's working in each of us. He's working in all of us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And what I would like to have happen is individually as you pray, I just want you to approach. Now, some of you have long relationships with God, and that approach is from a different place than somebody who's got a really new relationship with God, somebody who's struggling in their relationship with God. But what I want you to do when I pray is simply approach. Wherever he is in your life, wherever he is in your heart, however you feel about him, I need you to approach. Now there are some people in the room who would say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know God through Jesus. And so how do I approach someone that I don't know? You approach. Because that thing that's in you that is saying, you don't know me, but approach, that is God. That is him drawing you to him. Because you'll find out a little later on that it is God who makes the, makes the first move on us before we make a move on him. It's not our idea to come to God. He said approach so that I would say approach so that you would hear approach. Now, what that means for each of you, I don't know. But what I would like to have happen are the people who have prayed on our prayer team, the people who are on our staff, the people who truly, who who have been at these doors, if you've ever been at this door once, when I start to pray, I would like you to come to these doors, and we're going to move right from that prayer into worship, so if the band could come up now, that would be great, and so what I want to do is I want to pray simply that we approach, we take one step forward to approach God, to just approach Him. Now, I don't know what that looks like for each of you. I know what it looks like for me, but I don't know what it looks like for anybody in here. But as we pray, your Father is holding your hand. Your Father is saying, approach. And I don't know what that means, but I want you to approach him. Just get one step closer. And I want you to spend your week simply approaching him. Online, you'll find a video that Gina Siegel did. Raise your hand, Gina. That Gina did. And there will be some prayer prompts throughout the week for you to simply approach. There'll be just a phrase and then a prayer prompt. Just approach. Just get one step closer. If you want prayer for anything, there will be people at these doors, myself included. If you need prayer to simply know Jesus, please meet us at these doors because that's a conversation I will have all day. Let's pray. Lord, you love us. And each of us, each of us as we listen, you know where to meet us. You know where to meet us emotionally, you know where we are in our lives. Meet me, God. Each person is saying to you, Lord, meet me where I am. Each person is approaching you. And like the loving father that you are, you see them coming. And as they approach you, Lord, you approach them as well. Father, make this place a praying church. I'm holding you to your promise that this would be a place where you rest, where you enjoy yourself, where you meet us, where you change us, where you move us out into the world so that we might love the world and the world would be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us a church that trusts you. Make us a church that needs you. Make us a church that chases you. Make us a church for whom prayer is a priority. Make us a church that recognizes when heaven meets earth. Make us a church that yearns for that. That begs for your kingdom to come with everything we do and in everything we are make us a church that lives into its day into its name the amago day make us people that other people can look at and say i know who god is because i know who they are and now father As we approach, meet us where we are. For those who do not know you, Lord, draw them, pull them. Give them just a little bit of faith to be able to walk and say, what must I do to be saved? They just need a little. Father, draw your children to you. Change us. Make us people of thanksgiving and people who rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.